Hello everyone. Before we start today's podcast, some exciting news for you. You can experience the Inside Politics podcast live in Dublin on May 16th when Hugh Linehan, Jennifer Bray and I will be joined by Cliff Young of Ipsos, one of America's top pollsters, to talk about the US election, our own local and European elections and much more. It's a breakfast event kicking off at 8am in Trinity College. If you'd like to attend, you can get tickets at irishtimes.com forward slash events. That's irishtimes.com forward slash events. I hope we see lots of you there. Nourish your mind with a premium digital subscription with the Irish Times and enjoy 12 months free access to the Headspace app. Visit irishtimes.com. Terms and conditions apply. It's Monday, October the 14th, and you are very welcome to the Inside Politics podcast from the Irish Times. I'm Hugh Linehan. Today, I'm delighted to be joined by the broadcaster Joe Duffy and by Irish Times Northern correspondent Freya McClements to discuss their amazing new book, Children of the Troubles, the untold story of the children killed in the Northern Ireland conflict. You're both very welcome. Hi. Thank you. Joe, I think uh, I seem to remember being in a radio studio a few years ago and you were talking about your previous book, which of Mm -hmm. course was the sort of platform for this, which was a similar book about the children killed in the 1916 Rising. Yeah, and that book was an accidental project in one sense. It began as a Jack and Jill Foundation asked me to paint an egg for Easter and I was looking for ideas to paint the egg, so to speak, a big egg. And then I suddenly struck me, I said, how many Jack and Jill obviously work with seriously ill children and children who die way before their time. I just said to somebody, how many, many children were injured or killed in the Easter Rising? And I said this to a historian friend of mine, he says, no idea. So I went down to Pier Street Library and they said, well, the 500 books, one of them was really well read, a guy called Hugh Comerford, he only ever found one child, and that was Bridget McCain. So I then set about just trying to get the names, if looking through newspapers and uh, Death Records and Glasnevin with the late great Shane McAmosh. And we eventually came up with 40 children who had been killed in the Easter Rising. Mm. And obviously because they were children, they didn't have children. And they mm. didn't have grandchildren, didn't have great-grandchildren. They had nieces and grandnieces, and the, the, the line spread outwards rather than downwards. And by the time I got to it, OK, we, we got some stories about children, we got all their names and all their death certs, but we didn't get much information of them. And I, I remember, finished that book in 2015, obviously it was published for the, the centenary. Sure. I remember saying to myself, 100 years is too long to wait to record the deaths of children because of... The, the, their lack of direct lineage. And uh, then I realised um, that uh, 219 was coming in a few years' time and that would be the first child that was killed, Patrick Rooney, in the Troubles and that would mark 50 years. I was gobsmacked. 50 years since the first child was killed in the Troubles. And then I set out for about a year doing a desktop project with the internet, which... Um, newspapers, archives, National Library, trying to, and Lost Lives. Lost uh, Lives is a very famous, fantastic book, isn't it? Magisterial, the bedrock of any book that will be written about uh, Northern Ireland and the conflict. And uh, that originally gave me around 140, 150 names, but then I kept finding other references to subsequently, because Lost Lives of its day was 1998 was was based on newspaper reports so if your death was reported in the newspaper it got into lost lives if your your shooting uh, your injury got into the lost li- into the newspapers and you you died 3 weeks later it might necessarily have got in the newspaper mm. so uh, the number kept expanding and expanding then i put in an idea for a tv project to the broadcasting association of ireland and broadcasting authority of ireland and they came back saying, uh, great, 
terrible short notice saying we will consider your project if you get 10 letters within 10 days from 10 families telling us they're willing to participate in the TV programme. I was doing live line in total panic and I rang through friends of ours in Dublin, we rang Stephen Walker, Belfast, and I said, is there anyone up there, so to speak, that can fly around for the next 10 days? And uh, that's how I met Freya. And that's you, Freya. Yeah, Yeah, and uh, that's where I came in and and people sort of have said things to me like, oh, were you and Joe really good friends before this? We'd never met um, at all um, until, I think it was until after um, that that application went in because... As Joe says, we were given this this almost impossible deadline when you think about it. If we had to find ten, ten families um, who had lost children in the Troubles who were, were willing to, to take part in this documentary. And I was sort of all over the country sort of tracking people down and, and talking to them. The, the sisters of Paul Maxwell in, in Mullockmore, um, the, the uncle of the, the, the little O'Brien girls who were killed in the Dublin bombing in Dublin, you know, Derry, Belfast, all, all of this. And, and um, you, you know, I know that a thing that I find remarkable is that as a journalist, you know, who who's worked, you know, all my career as a journalist so far has been in the North and, and, and obviously mm. I grew up in this as well. So so you're used to it. You're used to, I suppose, speaking to families and talking about, you know, legacy issues as it's often termed, although those issues are very still with families. But I find it incredible that, you know, aside from Lost Lives, which Joe has already mentioned, which is the most remarkable work of, of scholarship, Lost Lives is often used as the official list of troubles fatalities because there isn't one. And, and when you think about the fact that, you know, this was a conflict that happened in Western Europe at the end of the 20th century when people are supposed to know about these things. The fact that, that you know, as Joe says, that we, we, we found children who had never been publicly recorded anywhere, who were remembered by, by their families um, and remembered in their local communities. And, and can I ask you actually a couple, just a couple of practical questions about that before we get into the stories themselves and, you know, and, and what they mean. I mean, as Joe said, you know, sometimes deaths weren't recorded because they happened weeks, months, maybe even years after what actually caused the death. Um, and then in other situations, you know, the link might not have been exactly, you know, clear or it might not have been recorded in an autopsy. There's one case of a, of a young child who died finally after having been caught up in a CS gas attack. You know, those those kinds yeah. of issues. Yeah, there's a number of reasons for that. And, I, and I, another thing I think that, that that's worth noting is that the, the, the disparity sometimes is in terms of who is designated as a child or not. Because one of the yes. things that you find that because, um, again, because what we have now and what comes back to us now is often based on on newspaper reports. Um, You know, newspaper reports, I hate to say this as a journalist and obviously we would never make this mistake in the Irish Times but sometimes things are wrong. First draft of history. So, first draft of history and often that draft is, uh, you know, as I know myself, is sort of, is being banged out against deadlines sort of thing. So, so for example, there's one particular child who is recorded everywhere else as being 20 years old but who was actually 16. So, so therefore as a child, so so you you have that. You also have, I mean, we, we had to make a decision and we talk about this in the book sometimes in terms of where you know how far that cause and effect ends so for example we we felt that the children who had been run over uh, or who'd been knocked down by army vehicles um very definitely were victims of the troubles um and and and, purely on the basis that you know um one of these children for example a little boy called Damien Harkin who was just walking home from the cinema in Derry in 1971 uh, and, and an army truck mounted the pavement um and hit him now um had had it not been for the troubles that army truck would never have been there you know and, and there were other cases I mean there was well, the Thomas case, Thomas yeah. Devlin which is another interest the family he was he was a victim of this he was murdered because he was a Catholic he was 15 years of age in 2005 and when he was murdered the family knew it was sectarian they chased a gang of Protestant well-known Protestant uh, 
paramilitaries chased a group of lads who they knew to be Catholic because they were in that particular area. They they killed Thomas. But the family were asked by the RUC stroke PSNI at the time, please do not say it was sectarian. If you say it's sectarian, we haven't a hope in hell of catching the killers because the community will coalesce. If you say, if we portray it as a mindless act of violence between groups of lads, if there is such a thing, uh, we have a better chance of catching the culprits. And at that time, the family are recorded, Thomas and Penny, Jim and Penny are recorded saying, we do not believe this was sectarian. They do believe it. They they do believe, and they're adamant when we contacted them and spoke to them, that their son, Thomas Devlin, was a victim of the Troubles and his death. And everyone knows it was, uh, tragically, it was another sectarian, mindless murder. Can I ask you, Joe, this may seem like a very silly question, really, but what was your actual purpose in setting out to do to do this particular book? It, 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 it obviously carries out a function, a very important function of commemoration. It carries out a function of retrieving these the, the, these people from history who didn't get to have the lives that they should they should have had to lead. Was that what it was about, or other? It, it's also it strikes me just a completely different way of understanding or looking at what happened over the course of those forty years of the Troubles. I wanted to humanise the numbers. I also wanted to make a contribution. I happen to be extraordinarily lucky in the job I'm in. Um, I was extraordinarily privileged when I was doing Children of the Rising. I was allowed to use the platform of LiveLine to look for families. So I, I was very conscious of that. Um, I was surprised when I looked at the Troubles that nobody had, had tried it. Nobody had done the research, apart from Lost Lives, which is about their deaths. But nobody had actually come now. Looking back on how difficult it was at times, I sometimes understand why nobody nobody went out. It's an act of reclamation. It's an act of remembrance. It's an act of respect. It's not an act of recrimination. There's no blame in the book. We covered the only criteria used in this book. It's the same criteria as the 1916 one. Anyone under 16 and under who was who died violently or was killed as a result of the troubles, they are included in, in the book. And the simple mathematics of that, uh, of course, is that therefore everybody whose death is recorded in this book could and arguably should be alive today. They, we have not we have not passed that. Their, their generation of, is still alive. They're, the yeah. oldest of them are now in their 70s. Yes, exactly. Or they say their late point. 60s. Well, well, well pa- pa- Patrick Rooney would be heading towards his 60th birthday if On he was alive the this, first Today time. is Monday, October 14th. Hmm. On this day, Rory Gormley, who was murdered, uh, again, a loyalist attack because of the uniform he was wearing, they attacked his, his father. He was being driven to school because he was in St. Malachy's. They spotted the uniform. They sprayed the car one, one, one morning. Uh, Rory's birthday today, he would be 61, which is younger than I am. You know what I mean? He's, and, and then the other thing as well is to remember that 75, 75% of the victims of the Troubles were aged, un, were under 40. So there's so many people still alive, thankfully, uh, that they're still alive, but there's so many people still alive who have direct relatives who were killed uh, during the Troubles and the numbers are just exponential. You go through, you, you come, one, one group came up with a figure of uh, 500,000 people in Northern or half a million who've contact with some big, major trauma that yeah. happened as a result of the Troubles. And, and when you think that even today the population of the North is only 1.8 million, you know, I mean, I, I would argue, I think that the ripples go even further. And that there's this amazing quote that we actually put on, on the back of the book, which is um, from the father of a boy called 
James Kennedy, who was 15, um, who was who was killed in a, a loyalist gun attack on on Sean Graham Bookmakers in in Belfast in 1992, and there were five people killed, and, and James was one of them. And his father Jack said the bullets that killed James didn't just travel in distance; they travelled in time. Some of those bullets never stopped travelling, and 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 you see that. I would argue that you see that you see that cer- certainly amongst the families. You see it in wider society in the north still. That that that, that the impact of all these bullets and all all the trauma and all all, all the loss and all, all all the enmities that have been been certainly going on for much longer than, than my lifetime, you know, that, that are that are, are still travelling. And I think, you know, going back to um, the purpose of the book, I, I mean, it's probably, you know, of, of certainly in, compared to anything that I've done as as a journalist, you know, that you know to have contributed something like this, um, you know, I think it's something that I'll always be be proud of and always be always be hugely grateful that I had the opportunity to do and to be involved in because I don't think it's that often that that you get to maybe make a difference. Uh, about something and even just the reaction that we've had so far from from the families and from wider society I mean people are saying really clearly they wanted the children to be acknowledged they in the words of of uh, the mother of Philip Rafferty who, who was in the, the the Irish Times piece about a week and a half ago you know nobody knows my Philip's name you know I, I want the world to know my Philip's name and you know the when you see the importance of just acknowledgements of, of naming those names and and now you know now the world does know Philip because Rafferty's there's always name. been a problem, isn't it? I suppose maybe it's a problem that always happens with, with, with conflicts, Joe, which is that the, the people who actually carry out the deeds are more famous and are commemorated in a way that the people who are the victims of the deeds are not there. They're the, the forgotten uh, victims and of history. An example of a story is uh, I spoke to a family, the Keenan family and the McGuigan family up between Forkill and Darkley. And five lads were walking to a disco, as it happened, on a Saturday evening. They didn't have the money to get a taxi. And they're walking along the road, trick acting, smoking, acting the fool. And they walked past a, 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 an abandoned hay truck and that was a booby trap. And the IRA detonated the booby trap, thinking they said that it was a British Army patrol smoking cigar. But anyway, uh, two of the lads were killed, Mark McGuigan and uh, James Keenan, two young, they were 15. Uh, Ray McGuigan was, and is to this day, uh, severely disabled. A wonderful man, wonderful man. Another member of the group, Martin Mulligan, uh, had his arm lost, uh, lost his arm. But when, when I was up there in their homes and even though the families knew each other, it was the first time that the two families had got together as a group. This is 40 years after the killing because it was so painful and it was the most, it was a it was an extraordinary afternoon with them and they, they, they just they took out photographs they cried a lot they and then at the end of it the two families said how come and again there's no bitterness in them in that sense it's just remembrance how come there's memorials everywhere left right and center around here and there's no memorial to James and Martin and as a result, they've now started a campaign okay. for a memorial. It could be a window in a church, it could be something in a school or whatever. But they want their their siblings, Ray's brother. They want they want them remember. But you're so right. I remember as well. I remember somebody saying once the Belfast Agreement happened in 1998, I knew my son would be forgotten because you're t- and I hear it all the time in Liveland oh you're talking about the past let the past be the past it was a conflict there was victims on both sides etc etc but 
the children as just as one group and that's all we've done is, is, is taken one cohort so to speak statistically almost and it's a relatively small cohort of the overall numbers of, uh, of people killed and but you will find very very few memorials apart from a shrine in every house we visited uh, you will find very few public memorials to the children that were killed now whether that makes a difference or not I don't know whether people who would uh, hopefully think about think about in their whatever uh, think about uh, loading a bullet into a into a into a gun uh, we we be trying to say to them, don't load the bullet bite the bullet and bite the bullet and open a book like this and hopefully there will be other books as well open a book like this on any single page and it, every single page in that book is an oh my god page oh my god Look at what happened, that child. Societies Always. do have a tendency, though, don't they, Freya? And we've seen it after, after other conflicts, to want to draw that curtain over things, to say it's all over, it's over in the past. It's almost maybe like a, like a, a natural human reaction. Yeah, and I, I, th- I think that's hugely, hugely difficult because on the one hand, you know, you have obviously the relatives and the families of, of not just the children, but of everybody, you know, the more than 3,700 people who lost their lives in the troubles um, who, who can't forget. I mean, Joe talks about going into houses, you know, there are houses that we went into and, you know, sat in the living room with, with, with families and and, and you, you felt that, that, that they were there, you know, they were still there at, the, at that moment um, when they, lo- they lost that child. But obviously in, in, in the North, there's been... Since before the Good Friday Agreement, and certainly after, there, there have been all these attempts at dealing with the past, as mm. it's as it's euphemistically referred to. Gen- I think generally because, unsuccessful, or well, a lot of them very unsuccessful. Com- com- completely unsuccessful, yeah. and they, I mean they, they've never re- really um, got got off the ground. And that's one of the things. I mean, obviously in the north, there, there's still no assembly at the moment, but but it, it's one of these things that have never really got off the ground because it always becomes mired in arguments about precisely who constitutes a victim and and and, th- and things sure. like this. And who was the um, worst? All yeah, this kind yeah. Of stuff. Who was, yeah. yeah, and, and it, it never really goes goes anywhere. And, and I think, you know, again, as Joe said, I mean, I mean, you know, th- this book, I think, is is the antidote to that, you know, because th- this takes it away from, you know, politics or discussions or who did what to who, you know, you know, when 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 you look at at the stories of all the children in, in, in this book, you know, the sense of loss is the same. The sense of wasted potential is the same. You know, the trauma of the families is the same, you know, that and that's regardless of, of, of background, of, of, of circumstances. And that's absolutely true. And each story has its own sorrow and pity and it's a terrible thing. But it is also a factual record. And I did also, it, I did find some of the actual information that's in there very interesting and very telling. You know, there are maps, there's the chronology of it. There's the kind of, there's the horrendous peak in, I think, 1970. which is just a a nightmare nightmare year and even the geographical clusters that you see around you know particularly in the in certain parts of Belfast and in Derry and then in the stories themselves Joe I think it's very striking how many of the families are that are kind of ordinary they're working class families they're not people with a lot you know with a lot of assets they're not rich people because um the riots, the rioting happened in a lot of working class areas, a lot of children. And it happened the same in 1916 when children hear kerfuffle and clatter and breaking glass and sirens and fire engines and ambulances. They do what I did as a child. I chased them. I want to see what's happening. That happened in 1916 when the kids were barreling down Dominic Street in their boxcars and two of them were, were shot dead in crossfire. And it happened also in, in so many working class areas where there, where there was trouble. That ch- children went out onto the barricades. They'd be hit by a plastic 
bullet, which were atrocious weapons to introduce to, ch- to in, in an environment where there's anybody, especially an environment where there was children. Um, they were they they got caught in crossfire. They were shot by the IRA in crossfire. The IRA would force it in many cases denied it initially, and then years later apologise. They'd be caught in explosions. Um, children, and again, as I say, they're only a small. They're only a small. They're only a relative, relatively. That means nothing because they're each each family are suffering one hundred percent. But they're only a relatively small group of the overall uh, figure. But because of the what they do, and one of the things that Freya keeps pointing out um, is that when you take the overall figure of who killed who and the troubles, the Republicans were had the greatest number of casualties, and then it was the loyalists, and then it was the security forces. The security forces didn't come in around ten percent. But when you when you look at yeah. when you look at the, that's overall. But then when you look at the children, the security forces killed what 25, 26 percent, so, so much higher up. pro yeah. Yeah. Why, why, so why much higher. they were on the streets and yeah. they were plastic bullets the, and they were you know in it, more in the light. It's, when, it's when, when you when you look at, at the breakdown of where you know where the deaths occurred, Joe's absolutely right. You know the, the majority of, of deaths happened in in Catholic working class urban areas of Belfast and Derry, and there's a huge disparity. Um, to in in terms of the dangers and the death toll in those areas compared to compared to to everywhere else, um. So you know why were more children being killed by the army in those areas? Be- because that's where the army were on the streets. It's where shooting was going on. It's where the rioting was going on. The kids were going out were going out to see this. They they, they maybe you know, didn't have maybe the sense of danger that there might have been as adults. You know, as children, they're just smaller, they're more vulnerable. You Denise Ann Dixon, what, seven years of age, February 1971. Um, 19, yeah, 1971. She comes home from school, goes out skipping on the narrow streets, the narrow terrace streets of Belfast. And suddenly, um, no gardens, of course, at the front and a little yard at the back. But they go out to play, play skipping on the road as she always did, no traffic. And suddenly this British Army convoy comes around led by a ferret armoured car. And anyone who knows, if anyone knows armoured cars, they don't have windows, they have slits. They are built for desert warfare. The chances of a driver seeing a child, he knocks down and kills the child and keeps on driving. But, uh, and tragedy, that's a horrific tragedy. Uh, Denise Ann Dixon was killed uh, instantly. But another aspect of the tragedy was the RUC never investigated that. Never. They didn't even investigate it as a road traffic accident. And then you come to, say, Patrick Stanley, who was from Clara County Offaly, Bell Torbert, um, just a few days after Christmas, a loyalist, no warning car bomb. He's he's murdered as he's phoning home his mother to say, I'm going to be late because the truck where I'm helping has, has been delayed. Geraldine O'Reilly is killed. The first time the Gardaí called to the Stanley household in Clara County Offaly to talk about their dead child who was murdered in this state was 40 years later. Not four hours, not four days, but 40 years later. The only visitation they had was from the parish priest who came in the middle of the night to say, your Patrick has been killed. And the family eventually had to beg the police for a meeting as to what was happening. What was the thinking and, behind and that, that? That's a thing that you see over and over and over again. I mean, I mean, you look at the trends that come through, that's something that you see over and over and over again, that these, these deaths were just not were just not investigated. Sometimes I suppose it was politically inconvenient, but sometimes yeah. was it just... Was it, I, 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 think I mean, was it that the people weren't respected as well, which goes back to the I, point I, about I, these I working think, class I think, communities? I think, it, I, think it, I think it was also some, sometimes that, you know, the, the, the context, particularly in, in that very early period at the start of the Troubles, um, you know, so many, and this isn't an excuse by any means, but so many people were being were being 
killed it was chaotic. all, all, all yeah. the time. I mean, it, mm. it, was, it was pretty chaotic, really. Um, and and I, I think in, in some cases, certainly that certainly um, where security forces were involved. And th- there's also cases in the book where there was collusion between loyalist paramilitaries and, and, and security forces. There was certainly a reluctance to investigate. Um, there, there, there was also also a, a sense um, potentially that, well, there were other things to worry about. You know, we're engaged in, in, in fighting a war or, or we're doing whatever else. Um, there was certainly a, a, a lack of respect in Catholic working class communities would say for the security forces towards them because bear in mind that the IUC would have, would have been predominantly Protestant. Mm. Uh, you know, there are a whole, whole host of things sort of feeding into this. And again, you know, you don't just, just see this with children, you know, you see this with adults as well. But there, there's one, there, there are some children in the book where it's actually not known who was responsible. And there, there's one girl in particular, little girl called Martha Campbell, who, who was going to visit a friend and was caught in crossfire and shooting in West Belfast again in 1972. Um, and the, the, the there was a off the top of my head, I can't remember whether it was a HET report or a police ombudsman's report, but it was it, it was much much later in in in, in recent times it was investigated and, and that report it was a it was a historical inquiries team report HET report. Um, and, and they came and said, look, we, we just don't know. You know, it could have been the IRA, it could have been loyalists, it could have been the army. They were all shooting in that area at the time. You know, there was no investigation at the time. We just don't know. And they actually write in the port, they actually write in the report, we find it incredible that a child could be shot dead in the street in broad daylight and nobody would investigate it. But that's exactly what happened. Can I ask you, were any of the families reluctant to talk still? So, so a, a few, very few, yeah. The, the majority of families that that we that we made contact with um, did want to speak to us, and, and there are a good number in the book who spoke to us who, who'd never given interviews before or had maybe done one forty years one ago. One family said they were obviously still very, very hurt. They said, "What's in the public domain?" And there was a lot about that particular child. Is all we we're want to talk about, but we wish you well with the project. And is there a sense at all, I mean, the psychological hurt and damage must be terrible, but is there a sense at all of unfinished business, for want of a better word, a sense of a, a desire for justice or revenge no, yeah, or however you might want well, to characterize justice, it? Justice, I think. Justice. Yeah, yeah I, I, I think, you know, I think it's 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 on a continuum. I think everybody wants acknowledgement, certainly. Um, you know, you know, some families would have cases ongoing. You know, some families are, are, are fighting for justice. Justice can mean different things to different people. I think most families would also say that they, they want the truth. Um, some families would 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 say that, you know, that, that they've gone as far as, as they can or that or that it was it was just a tragedy. I mean, there are children in here who were killed accidentally by, by other children because weapons were in the house because, again, that was the context of the troubles. You know, so some families would say they've got no, they've got nowhere to go. So that there, there's a, I see it as, as kind of a sliding scale or, or as a continuum. You know, there are a lot of people who are looking for... I, I suppose to know as much as they can about about the deaths of, of of their loved ones, but I think ultimately at bottom it's about remembrance, it's about acknowledgement, you know. And I think again, going back to the question about families who wanted to talk, there were some families who spoke to us who'd never ever spoken before, and and they specifically said they said we're doing this because this is a book, because this is something you know it's not a newspaper article that's going to be gone in, in, in two days, you know this is going to be something that's solid that's going to sit on a table in fifty years time on a bookshelf in hundred years time, so that when we're all gone, because remember these families are getting older now as well particularly parents and they're saying you know well when, when we're gone when there's none of us left to speak for my son or my daughter my brother or my sister you know th- th- this this will be here again it's back to that idea of the, the world will know you know the world will, will know about them and I suppose on that point Joe finally um, 
where do we go from here? I mean, if you, you've both immersed yourselves in these stories, these terrible memories and these terrible tragedies. Um, we do podcasts all the time about the politics of Northern Ireland, which is not a pretty sight a lot of the time. What sort of state, I mean, this is almost like a taking a taking a, the temperature of a big part of that society, which has been so cruelly affected by what happened in the past. I would I would think, and, and it's only been, I won't, won't lose the run of ourselves in a... In a in one sense, you hope people will, as I say, open the page and say never again. Um, in another sense, you would you would be hoping that people who sit in there. I saw one of them on the that wonderful BBC program, the Spotlight, the the, the, the Troubles program that's on at the minute. I saw one armchair general. He was his name is Des Long. He was on from his beautiful house down in Limerick, and beautiful room surrounded by books. He looked extraordinarily healthy, thank God. He looked extraordinarily relaxed, thank God. But he was then went into this treatise about why the the young fellas in Derry who were lobbing petrol bombs at heavily armoured uh, RUC jeeps and having a hope of achieving anything apart from uh, injuring themselves. He was saying why why he supported them and why they were. And I just said to myself, is this guy in the real world? He's not in the real world. He's down at Limerick. He's not up in Derry and he's not he's not facing uh, that type of uh, prospect if he did. Uh, and I, I would hope people like that would would say, listen, the bullet is gone. We've so many good politicians, we've so many good diplomats, we've so many good newspapers, journalists, civil servants, and these two islands, and the island beside the island that's beside our island, uh, the mainland of Europe. There's so many of them around at the minute. There is absolutely, in God's wide world, no justification for anyone putting a bullet in a gun. No, no justification whatsoever. Children of the Troubles is published by Hachette. I'd recommend everybody to read it. Thanks very much indeed to, to Joe and to Freya for coming in today. Thanks to our producer, Declan Conlon. And remember, you can listen to us on Apple Podcasts or Spotify, Acast, or whatever your preferred podcast provider might be. You can find me at hlinehunterhourstimes.com or I'm usually on Twitter. Until the next time, thanks for listening. It's time to focus on what matters. Nourish your mind with Headspace and the Irish Times. Headspace connects you to yourself. The Irish Times connects you to the truth. Headspace gives you a healthy perspective. The Irish Times gives you a wider perspective. Take a premium digital subscription with the Irish Times and enjoy 12 months free access to the Headspace app. Pause. Breathe. Focus. Subscribe at irishtimes.com. Terms and conditions apply.